In today's episode, I give you seven effective tips to improve your cash gameplay and profits. Welcome to Smart Poker Study. I'm your host, Sky Matsuhashi, and I'm super appreciative that you downloaded and you are listening to this episode. If it's your first time here, welcome! If somebody turned you on to the podcast, thank them for me, please. And of course, if you are back for more, welcome back, Jack! So, by the end of this episode, I'm going to give you seven tips to help you play better cash games. If you learn something from it, if you enjoy this episode, please share it with a friend who could use some help with their cash game skills as well. Just send them to the show notes page, smartpokerstudy.com slash cash game tips. So let's get to the tips. Uh, in the past two episodes, I gave you five tips for tournament play. That was episode 311. Episode 312 was six tips for sit and go play. So today we are upping it by one and I'm giving you seven cash game tips. Now here's the great thing. Uh, that show notes page for today, it's the same page for the prior two episodes. Uh, smartpokerstudy.com slash cash game tips. When you go there, it's going to have all 18 tips outlined for you. And even though I broke them up between tournaments, sit and goes, and cash games, every single one of those tips, they're useful for any form of poker, for any player. Great strategies are great regardless of the format or the stakes that you play. So if you maybe ignored the prior two episodes because you're a cash game player, Go back and listen to episodes 311 and 312, listen to those tips, and figure out how you can apply those tournament-related tips to your cash games, because I guarantee each of those are applicable. And one last thing before we get to the tips, I'm holding my very first tournament on October 21st, uh, 2020, at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And I want you to join the tournament and use the tips against me to knock me out, right? It's a $50 guaranteed America's Card Room Tournament, October 21st, 8 p.m. Eastern, $1.10 buy-in with rebuys and add-ons, 40-minute re-entry period, nice and short, not the often three- to four-hour re-entry periods on ACR, right? Uh, 2,000 starting chips, eight-minute levels, registration is open, and you can find or you can register uh, on America's Card Room within the Private Tournaments tab. And don't forget, the password is Smart Poker Study. It's case sensitive, so make sure they're all lowercase Smart Poker Study. And for more info, smartpokerstudy.com slash SPS Tournament. All right, let's get to the seven cash game tips. Gambate! This is damn exciting stuff. So tip number one is to strive for bread and butter. Now, we play poker because, of course, two things. We enjoy it, and we want to make some money. Well, the best way to make money is to put yourself in the most profitable situation as many times as possible. So, what is this magical, most profitable situation? It's called the bread and butter spot. And I learned about bread and butter from Tommy Angelo in his book, Elements of Poker. Bread and butter means that you are in position on the flop as the pre-flop raiser, against one or two players, preferably one, but two players is good as well. The reason this is the most profitable spot is because you have positional advantage and you are the raiser, so you have a range advantage as well. That positional advantage means that you get to act last after your opponents on the flop, the turn, and the river, so you get a little bit more information because you get to see what they do before you have to act. And of course, you're the pre-flop raiser, right? So you have aces, kings, queens, ace, king in your range. They just called... 
most likely they don't have those. Now, I've been a poker coach for a long time now, and I've looked at hundreds of player databases in Poker Tracker 4. And I have found that the bread and butter spot's always the most profitable one to be in. So I tell my students, get as much bread and butter as possible. But of course, I got to give them some strategies, right? How do you get more bread and butter? First, you need to raise preflop when you are not likely to face a re-raise, nor a late position caller. You also want at most two callers out of the blinds, or maybe a limper and then a caller. So the best positions to get bread and butter are the button and the cutoff. The MP can work as well, of course, as long as the cutoff and the button players are likely to fold, so you don't want them to call or three-bet you. The easiest and most common bread and butter spot to put yourself in is when you open raise from the button and one of the blinds calls. Now, I posted a little video on the show notes page. Once again, smartpokerstudy.com slash cashgametips. This video is all about putting yourself in more bread and butter spots. Uh, in the video, I show you with Poker Tracker 4 how to see the profitability of bread and butter and non-bread and butter spots. Once you see how much more profitable you are in bread and butter, you're gonna start striving for more of it. Uh, and at the end of the video, I give you an action step to get you to strive to hunt to seek out more bread and butter. Tip number two is consider their range. Now, this is where the most important skill of hand reading comes into play. Considering your opponent's range of hands gives you additional information to work with for some better post-flop decisions. So let's say somebody open raises uh, early position and you call them on the button. They have a small open raising range because they're a tight aggressive player. Uh, so maybe it's like every pair, the strongest broadways, and some suited aces. You hold pocket eights and the flop comes down 5-5 five, five deuce. They see bet half pot, and you consider what hands would make this play. Now, given that pre-flop range and the type of player they are, you probably know that they can make this play with almost all of their hands, at least on the flop. It is just a half pot bet after all. And they would do this with their bluffs, their over pairs, even a set of fives if they had like ace five on the five five deuce board. So he see bets, you call. Now the ace hits on the turn and they see bet again. This time, they up it to three-quarter pot. You know this player, and you don't think they'd bluff with any of their non-paired hands, nor their under-pairs like pocket queens when that ace hits. You think they would only make this bet with top pair or better. So what happened here? You use their actions, what you knew about them, their bet sizing, along with what you know of their preflop range of hands. You used all of that to determine that your pocket eights was not good enough to continue. So, you left the hand, you folded right there, you probably saved yourself a lot of chips by not calling on this turn, and then possibly facing another river bet and making an unbelieving call again. Considering their range can also help you earn value. So, let's say you flop top set with pocket jacks on the jack-10-5 board, and there's two clubs on the board. Your opponent donk bets one big blind. So, what do you make of this bet? Yeah, you probably sense weakness just like I do. So it's likely like a weak pair, maybe a straight draw or a flush draw. Oftentimes, one big blind donk bets, they're designed to, in an effort to help them see the turn super cheap. Maybe bluff you off the hand if you're willing to fold one big blind or versus one big blind, but they just want to see the next turn cheap. So what do you do with top set? You raise, of course, right? You have the nuts on a wet board, and this wet board often interacts with pre-flop calling ranges. 
So when you hold the nuts against somebody who has many reasons to continue on to the next street, you have to bet big for value. You want to make sure to raise it big enough so they overpay for their draws. And you only realize this because you're thinking about their range and the types of hands that would fire a one big blind donk bet. Now, speaking of noticing that one big blind donk bet, this leads us to tip number three, which is to notice bet sizing. So poker is a game of incomplete information, but that does not mean it's a game of zero information. One piece of information that your opponents cannot avoid giving you is the size of the bet they use. Whether it's a one big blind donk bet, a standard half pot c-bet, a pot-sized raise, or an all-in shove, you can always look at the chips that they put in, use that to gauge how they feel about their hand. Now here is a general rule, this probably holds true for you and for most players out there. Smaller bets equals bluffs, and larger bets equals value. Let's say an unknown player open raises three and a half big blinds from under the gun. How likely is this player going to fold to a 3-bet bluff? Yeah, not very likely at all, right? He's using a larger size, which indicates he probably likes his hand, plus he's opening from under the gun, which is a tighter position most players open raise from. And he's an unknown, you kind of don't really have much of an idea of what kind of player he is. So a 3-bet bluff wouldn't be a great play here against this unknown player. Let's contrast this with a loose aggressive player who open raises 2.2 big blinds from the button. What do you make of this raise size? Is he trying to maximize the value of his hand? Or is he trying a cheap steal? Yeah, most likely a cheap steal. What you need to do is pay attention to the bet size of every bet or raise that you face and make some kind of value judgment on it. Don't just think, oh, he bet. Oh, should I call? Should I fold? Should I raise? You want to think instead, okay, he bet two-thirds pot on this board that hits his range. I think he likes his hand. And then, of course, you're going to respond accordingly. All right, tip number four, use a HUD. Now, I mentioned in the last tip that poker is a game of incomplete information. If you play online, you have access to useful information in the form of a heads-up display or a HUD. And let me tell you, if you play online without a HUD, you are doing yourself a huge disservice. A lot of people feel that using a HUD is cheating or it's antithetical to real poker, but they are wrong. (laughs) You still have your powers of observation to use, your logic, your reasoning, and your experience. That stuff is all still there. It's all still real poker. You have two cards. There's a board out there. You're up against an opponent. You're playing with chips. Everything is still there. The HUD just gives you a bit more information to utilize. And it's a totally legit way to play as long as your chosen poker site allows the use of the HUD. Now, your HUD can be a great tool, like my smart HUD, of course, but you have to learn how to use it. If you don't learn, it's just a jumble of useless numbers on the screen. So here's what I recommend. Focus on one stat per play session. So let's say you want to learn how to use the fold to flop c-bet stat. Well, the first thing you're going to do before you play your session, look up the definition and how it's calculated, write those down on a piece of paper, and that's going to help you understand what that stat percentage means. Then, when you play your session, look at every player's fold-to-flop c-bet stat to see how often they have that tendency of folding. Before you c-bet, look at your opponent's stat to gauge how often they're folding. 
When you see somebody else C-bet against another player, look at that player's fold to C-bet and try to gauge whether or not they're going to fold right now to this C-bet from your opponent. Of course, the higher the percentage, the better when you are bluffing. The lower it is, the better when you're going for value. All right, after the break, I'm going to hit you with tips 5, 6, and 7. Wow, I have so many people who've recently been purchasing my books and letting me know about it. Post-Flop Online Poker was purchased by Barbara Bletchinger, Dustin, Trevor Maskos, Daniel Yordanov, and John Bauer. Pre-Flop Online Poker, Murray Thurman, Pedro Chavez, James Krausnick, Linda Porter, and Dustin again. And How to Study Poker Volume 1, Ross Wilson, Jordan Manis, Robert Peacock. Thank you all so very much for purchasing my books through my website. To find those books, just go to smartpokerstudy.com. Right there on that top menu, you'll see coaching and books. Click on that, you'll be taken to the books. Or, of course, on Amazon, just search for any of my books. Pre-Flop Online Poker, Post-Flop Online Poker, How to Study Poker, or just my name, Sky Matsuhashi. Let me know you bought the book so I can give you a shout-out on the podcast. And I have a few Bitcoin purchasers to thank. They went to smartpokerstudy.com slash Bitcoin. They bought $100 in Bitcoin, and for doing so, they got a bonus $10, and I got a bonus $10. Thank you all so much for supporting the show. Ryan M., Richard D., David L., and John D. Thank you very much. I do appreciate it. If you need Bitcoin to deposit onto maybe America's card room, once again, smartpokerstudy.com slash Bitcoin. It'll take you to Coinbase, and they got a special deal with me when you use that link. All right, let's get back to tips five, six, and seven. So tip number five for cash game players, plan for post-flop C-bets. So because you're striving for bread and butter, remember that was tip number one, right? You're going to see most flops as the pre-flop raiser, which means you're going to have a ton of C-betting opportunities. To get the most out of these, you must make pre-flop plans for how you're going to play these C-bet spots. First, have an idea of what flop cards are good for your hand and which cards are good for your opponent's range. If he called a 3-bet, for example, his range mostly has pairs, um, ace-x hands, and broadways, so you don't really want to see a 2-broadway flop, right? You'd much rather see a low-card flop of 9-7-4. This board can be so much easier to get them fold on the flop if you miss your hand. It's also good to know their tendencies when facing C-bets. So it's great that you use a HUD. Remember, that was the prior tip number four. So when somebody calls you before the flop even hits, look at their fold-to-flop C-bet. You want to see this as a total and in position or out of position, depending on what their uh, relative position to you is going to be. Also, look at their fold-to-turn C-bet to help you see which street they're most honest on so that you can begin planning for a possible double, maybe a triple-barrel bluff C-bet. Speaking of bluffing your opponent, you should almost always bluff them on their honest street, as long as the board doesn't really smack their range, right? So you're using their fold-to-C-bet stats by street to see where the percentage jumps up, maybe from 35% on the flop to uh, 65% on the turn. That's their honest street, so plan on bluffing the turn when they fold 65%. Lastly, make sure the effective stacks are deep enough so that bluffing on their honest street can get them to fold. So if you both started with 100 big blinds and it's a 2-bet pot, 
Great, you can probably bluff on any street and they won't be committed. But if they started with 40 big blinds and it's a three bed pot, wow, on the flop, the pot's already maybe 20 big blinds. They only have 30 behind. They're going to be so committed to that point, right? It's probably going to be tough to get them to fold maybe on the flop, but definitely the turn or the river. Tip number six is to target limpers. I love limpers, love fish, love the loose passive players. Now, you want to make money, of course, right? And these players, especially those limpers, they're killer sources of profit. They're often the weakest players at the table, and we know that money flows from the weak to the strong. So your goal is to play as many hands as possible against these limpers in positive EV situations. Now, here's the thing about limpers. They want one thing. They just want to see that flop as cheap as possible in order to hit a strong hand. Now, this causes them to limp with any pair, suited connectors, suited gappers, all broadways, most aces, and lots of other suited hands as well, like jack-8 suited even. They don't understand the value of being the pre-flop raiser, and they don't understand how being the pre-flop caller, it's antithetical to bread-and-butter poker. When they call out of the big blind with jack-7 suited against you, wow, they are just handing you bread-and-butter. So when you find limpers, automatically tag them as a fish, color code them green, or whatever color code you use. I use green because green means go for profit. And it's a reminder to me to play as many pots as I can with these limpers, with these fish. Here are the four things to do when you're raising a limper. Number one, and this is actually the most important, hence number one, right? Expect a call. Sure, sometimes they might fold versus your ISO raise, but they want to see the flop and your raise ain't gonna stop me from flopping a monster with my jack-7 suited. Thing number two, ISO raise limpers with hands ahead of their calling range. This gives you a mathematical advantage that they just cannot overcome in the long run. Number three, hit their pain threshold with your bet size. Now, this is often four big blinds plus one per limper, but I go six big blinds plus one or even more per limper. It is so awesome. Oh my gosh, when a limper comes into the pot, you ISO raise to eight or nine big blinds when you hold pocket aces, and they call. When you get to the flop, the pot's already at 18 big blinds or more, and you have the pre-flop nuts against a really weak player and whatever their potential hand is, right? This is a killer money-making opportunity, especially when you're raising or ISO raising from in position. Just imagine holding (laughs) pocket aces in an 18 big blind pot uh, uh, in position against the weakest player at the table. God, I love bread and butter and limpers. And thing number four, never limp behind. If your hand is worth playing against limpers, it's worth raising in an effort to isolate just them to yourself. The final tip, number seven, table select for high profit potential. So let me ask you a question. Which table has more profit potential? Number one, you sit down and you see all green-colored fish at your table. These players love limping and hitting flops and only raise with super strong hands. Or table two, full of aggressive maniacs, winning loose aggressive, winning tight aggressive players, and no fish in sight. Obviously, table one, the ideal profit potential table. The tables that you choose to play on should be as close to this ideal as possible. Green is the color that you need to see when table selecting. The more fish you tag green, the quicker you'll spot these profitable tables. Now, 
If your site allows you to, scroll through the lobbies and see if you can spot tables with lots of fish. Uh, maybe you just recognize a lot of names. Uh, maybe there's even a little symbol tagged next to their name in the lobby. But some sites don't allow for this, so just sit at a couple tables and wait for that HUD to pop up or just look around the table. It might take one or two orbits to get a feel for the table and to spot the fish. So if it seems like a profitable table with some fish and not too many winning tight aggressive or loose aggressive players, go ahead and stay there and keep playing. It's a profitable table. But if it's full of winners or there are a ton of loose aggressive players on your left, consider switching tables. It's all about profit potential when it comes to table selection. Challenge! Here's my challenge to you for this episode. Take one of today's tips and use it in your sessions for the next five nights. After you do that and you feel comfortable using it, move on to the next. Repeat this process over and over until all the tips are ingrained in your game and you're making more profits than ever before. Now it's your turn to take action and shabba-dabba-do something positive for your poker game. Oh, that's it now. Get out there and be somebody. Alrighty, poker peeps, your learning isn't complete until you visit the show notes page, smartpokerstudy.com slash cash game tips. And of course, send your friends there. Don't forget my America's Card Room Tournament, October 21st, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can find it under the private tournament tabs within America's Card Room. It's called Smart Poker Study Tournament, $1.10 buy-in and $50 guaranteed. Password, Smart Poker Study. All one word, lower caps, smart poker study. I'll see you there. My other podcast called Daily Poker Tips is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Just go to smartpokerstudy.com slash dailypokertips. Until next time, take action both on and off the felt to become the player that you want to be. 